Today we are continuing our 13-week sermon series through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The Apostle John was likely an old man by the time he wrote uh, these letters, and he writes as a spiritual father to an audience he repeatedly calls his little children. He informs his readers that they are living in the last hour. But by that, he does not mean that the physical universe is coming to an end. Rather, John is talking about the end of the old covenant order, the old covenant world. There was a seismic shift taking place as the kingdom of God expanded beyond the borders of Israel. The early Christians were facing persecution from the outside, and they were facing division from the inside. And so John offers a number of different reminders and encouragements to these churches in the midst of crisis. And today, John is going to teach us the proper posture that we as followers of Jesus ought to have toward our sin. And sin is any transgression of God's revealed will for us. Verse 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The next few sermons are going to focus on this metaphor of light and darkness. And so I want to lay some groundwork Um, by offering a few observations about light and darkness according to the Bible. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Okay, so the light is good. We know that much. But I think we tend to assume that the darkness, in contrast, must be bad, right? But Genesis 1 doesn't actually say that. In fact, God keeps the darkness. He's creating this perfect world, but he doesn't do away with the darkness. The darkness has a role to play. So in Genesis, darkness is not necessarily bad. It's just that light is better. Light is an improvement upon the darkness. In addition... We tend to think that darkness follows the light. First comes the day, then comes the night. But again, that's not what we see in the Bible. In the Bible, the darkness comes first. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Darkness comes first, and then comes the light. Now, remember, remember when John talks about the last hour, when John talks about the world passing away, he's talking about the end of the old covenant system, the temple, the purity laws, the animal sacrifices, and so on. And when we apply this principle to the Bible's use of darkness and light, we can see that John is associating the darkness with the old covenant, and he's associating the light with the new covenant. As we said last week, John is calling his audience to move forward into the light of the new world, lest we return to the darkness of the old world and the work of Christ is undermined and nullified. So, the darkness is not bad. The light is just better. And the old covenant was not bad. It's just that the new covenant is far better. In chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, he says that the light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They do not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. John is saying that some people prefer the darkness of the old covenant to the daylight of the new covenant because the old covenant provided a covering for their sin. 
In contrast, in the new covenant, the only way to cover our sin is to bring our sin into the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. According to John, just because we say we have fellowship with God doesn't mean we have fellowship with God. To know his fellowship, we have to actually walk in the light. Again, only those who follow Jesus into the daylight of the new covenant will find covering for their sin. Our sins are no longer covered by the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. The only covering that remains is the blood of Christ. And that covering is granted when we have the humility to bring our sin into the light. So if we want fellowship with the God of light, we have to walk in the light. Meaning, we have to follow Jesus into the new system that he has established. In this new system, there is no longer a need for mediating animal sacrifices. There's no longer a need for human beings to hide behind animals. The blood of Christ is once and for all effective. And so we go straight to God with our sins in the name of Jesus. For John's immediate audience, those who walk in darkness are those who continue to live according to the old system. These were Judaizers who walked in darkness and hated their brothers by insisting upon outdated rules that only served to divide the church. Now, most modern Christians are not tempted to insist upon Jewish dietary restrictions and purity laws and animal sacrifices. That's not something that's really a temptation for us. But even so, we can walk in darkness by failing to love one another. We can walk in darkness by breaking fellowship with one another. Ever since the Garden of Eden, human sin has been breaking fellowship. Sin is what separates us from God, and sin is what separates us from one another. And until we're willing to acknowledge the presence of sin and the destructive consequences of sin, there can be no restored fellowship. According to John, when we break fellowship with one another, we break fellowship with the light. And breaking fellowship with the light calls into question whether we have actually been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, what does light do? A number of things. Light gives us light. Light gives us life. Light guides us and keeps us from stumbling. Light illuminates and exposes the darkness. When something is hidden, light reveals it. As we just sang, as morning breaks, earth's vain shadows flee. When the light shines, the darkness dissipates. When the light shines, things hidden in the darkness become revealed. As we said last week, God is no longer hiding behind a veil. 
He has come out into the open and he is shedding light upon all of the darkness. And as his light shines, we find that we are exposed. The sin we kept hidden in the shadows has been uncovered. He sees it. Now, our first instinct, like Adam and Eve, is to, is to reach for fig leaves and attempt to cover our shame. We try to hide our sin. We try to justify our sin. We try to blame others for our sin. In some cases, we use medical or psychological jargon rather than acknowledging sin. But these fig leaves, these are fig leaves, and they are worthless before the God of light. Because he knows. He sees. And actually, that is, that is very good news. Light and cleansing and eternal life are only possible when we submit to the scrutiny of God's righteous judgment. When we joyfully expect, accept the exposure of our sin. When we freely confess our sin, that is when we learn to live with no condemnation. That is when we come to know fully the full extent of God's forgiveness. It's pretty common for us to think that the God of the old covenant was judgy and nitpicky uh, about sin. It's also pretty common for us to think that the God of the new covenant um, is more gentle. He's lowered his standards a bit. And he's more patient now. But that's not how the New Testament actually talks about the new covenant. The light of the new covenant has come, which means that God's judgment has come. He sees it all. As the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked. In other words, in the old days, God was willing to overlook certain things. The King James Version says, in the old days, God winked at sin. But now, Paul says, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Come into the light. Submit yourselves to the scrutiny of God's righteous judgment. The new covenant is a covenant of judgment. But again, that's, that's actually good news. Because in the Bible, God's judgment is not the opposite of life. God's judgment is not the opposite of love. God is light, and the fact that he can see and expose everything hidden in the darkness means that he can bring light and life to everything. For those who trust in Christ, we can once again have a cover for our sin. God's wrath is is turned away, and he forgives us entirely. I I say this every week. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has not dealt with us according to our sins. Know for certain that you are fully and freely forgiven. We We are only forgiven because we have confessed. We have just confessed. We are only forgiven because we have come into the light. We are only forgiven because we have submitted ourselves to the scrutiny of God's righteous judgment. So if you wonder why we take time to confess our sins every week, it's because we want to be a church that walks in the light. It's not because we're shooting for a somber liturgy. We're actually shooting for the exact opposite. We're shooting for a jubilant liturgy, but we're not going to settle for cheap or shallow jubilance. 
We're after the sort of jubilance that can only come having, having passed through God's righteous judgment unscathed, covered by the blood of Christ. That is what produces true joy in this setting. If we seek to hide our sin, if we pretend it doesn't exist, if we refuse to admit it and confess it, to call it what it is, then we are liars. And worse than that, we make God a liar. Because God says that we need saving from our sins. So if if we say or imply with our actions that we do not need saving from our sins, then we're calling him a liar. Our sin is real. And God sees everything there is to see. And so, paradoxically, the only way to find a covering for your sin is to uncover it. Bathe it in the light. Throw it all at the feet of the God of light, the righteous judge. Say, here it is, Lord. I I have nothing left to hide. And the judge who also happens to be your heavenly father, will assure you there is now no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ. And from then on, your job is to believe that. When God says no condemnation, who are you to say otherwise? When God says no condemnation, he means not even a little bit of condemnation. Some of us want to go on living as though God is secretly angry with us, as though he's hostile toward us or he's withholding on us, as though he wants to see us fail. Stop that. Know for certain that you are fully and freely forgiven. John knows that we are going to sin, but he tells us exactly what to do when it happens. Confess your sins to the God of life. Now, this does not mean that we get to live however however we want so long as we're honest about what we're doing. The invitation is to walk in the light. The expectation is to walk in the light. John insists that followers of Jesus must be obedient to Jesus if they are going to call themselves followers of Jesus. To persist in disobedience is to lie with your life. You could have the perfect doctrine. You could believe all the right things and yet speak lies with your manner of living. John is not afraid to talk about obedience as a requirement for followers of Jesus. And so the beauty of the new covenant is not that God has lowered his expectations or that because of Jesus, it no longer matters what we do. No. The beauty of the new covenant is that we can now follow Jesus free of the burden of sin. We can shed the dead weight of our sin and rebellion, and we can trust and follow and obey Jesus freely. We can walk in the light with a spring in our step because we no longer have to carry that burden. As we will see in chapter 5, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. On the cross, the light of the world appeared to be extinguished. The darkness seemed to have swallowed 
Jesus. But that's not how light and darkness work. When the darkness meets the light, the light wins every time. And so if the prospect of confessing your sin looks like death and darkness, don't believe that lie. There is light and life on the other side of your confession. So walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and you will receive cleansing for your sin. And we will all enjoy his fellowship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we acknowledge you as our righteous judge, and we willingly submit to the scrutiny of your righteous judgment, knowing, trusting that it leads to light and life. Jesus, you are light of the world. Um, you have come to shine light in the darkness. You have come to set up a new system. We no longer need to hide behind animals. We can now trust in you and, and cast our sins, cast our anxieties, and you shed light upon them. You give us fellowship with yourself. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all of these things. We ask for more of these things. And we ask um, the sin that we know of, we ask that you would bring it into the light. And the sin that we don't know of, bring about conviction of sin. So that we can be a community, not a community that dwells on our sin, as though that is the purpose of the Christian life, but a community that is quick to confess so that we can walk with a spring in our step into the new covenant and the new world that you are establishing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.